Hello, listener, and welcome to episode four of Area de Rigori, your weekly shot of Syria, your weekly dosage of Syria. Maybe it's a bit controversial to say shot with all the vaccines going on now, but this is your weekly pill of Syria, if you like, digesting all things Syria, top to bottom. This week on the show, we have a very special guest, Napoli expert all the way from America, Joe Fischetti. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well, Darnish. How are you? Good, good, good to finally have you on. Uh, I think we've we've known each other for a couple of years, but only sort of virtually through the, uh, I believe, the World Football Index world. And I've always known you as the one of the go-to guys to go for with uh, if I miss a Napoli game. Yeah, absolutely. That's other other than my uh, my wife and kids, their top priority. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. In the top three, at least. Syria, wife, kids, in that order, no? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, just as a side note, so you, you were watching Encanto yesterday, right? Sorry? in You were watching, in, is that right? Encanto, the Disney movie. Yes, yes, sorry. I'm, yes, I was. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you're spending your box yeah. a day. It's just, I, I thought I'd bring it up because we just caught it literally today. Um Good, good, decent, decent movie. Too many, too many bloody songs for my liking, but it was all right. <laughs> you know what? That's what my kids like the most. So they love really? it because of all the songs. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, really, another song to explain <laughs> this, um, this thing. But anyway, that's that's. So that's how we spent uh, spent our Christmases, and this is a, a festive, our first ever festive edition of Area de Rigore, um, because we. There was midweek fixtures, so we didn't want to sort of do one on Sunday and then have to get one done again on in midweek. So we've got a couple of match days to digest. Plenty of things going on, plenty uh, to look at at the halfway stage because it is the winter break now. There is no more calcio now till the 6th of January, which depending on who whose fan you are, that, that is a good or bad thing. Let's start with one of the seven sisters right at the top, Atalanta, who were coming on and looking good in the title race, have now sort of had a not a setback, so to speak, but had two results that weren't exactly favorable for them. They'd lost 4-1 at home to Mourinho's Roma, and then they drew Andrei Shevchenko's Genoa last week. It was a typical Atalanta performance last week. Players going forward, centre-backs pushing up very high, everybody in a very attack-minded mode. Um, but it was one of those where they play minnows or lowly opposition and they can't pick the lock, regardless of how hard they try and how well Zapata plays and how... Gasparini changes it, it changes it around and brings on Roberto Piccoli or brings on Coop Miners or Malinowski in in whatever order. It just didn't seem to work for them and they, they ended up dropping two points. In terms of the game against Roma as well, that was just one game where that felt like Mourinho's classic inter-team or Mourinho in his prime uh, with his team's counter-attacking so well. I thought Tammy Abraham and Saniola were fantastic in that, in that game. They only had 29% possession, but Mourinho was clearly wary of how far up the pitch Atlanta would be and how they all join and attack together. So that was literally, okay, fine, you're going to do that? No problem. I have Zaniolo and Tammy Abraham up front and they can conjure up some madness, which is basically exactly what they did. And in the end, they they won 4-1. Chris Smalling, by the way, I've never seen Zapata handled so well as Chris Smalling handled him two weeks ago. Yeah, and, and on top of that, he's adding goals lately. So he's been uh, he's been great for Roma lately. He always has some situations in the games, Zapata, where he will get past you. Um, he's a complete bulldozer. He's he's difficult to manage in the air. He's very very fast, so he can turn turn past you going in behind as well. But Chris Smalling had him all ends up, and when that happened, um, 
Abraham and Zaniolo just looked for counter-attacking opportunities and, and in the end it worked really well. Yeah, and we're seeing that with, with Mourinho against the bigger clubs. He's playing a more traditional Mourinho style and it seems to be working. It's it's almost like when he's forced to have to be the more uh, possession-based, the more positive side and go forward that Roma seemed to struggle a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't know what to do as much or he doesn't know how to use the uh, arsenal at his disposal because he does have a lot of it. Tammy Abraham, Zaniolo, Shmurdov, Mkhitaryan, El Sharawi. Uh, I think it would be about how well Roma play against the Minos or the mid-table teams in terms of where if they compete for a Champions League spot. But going back to Atalanta, it, simply two games, two games, a draw and a loss. And all of a sudden they are now looking over their shoulder because you are four points behind them for fourth. And uh, Roma themselves are six points behind them for the Champions League spots. And they are now eight points off Inter at the top. It, things can change very quickly. And, and they have done in, in the space of two weeks. I still think that Atalanta will be there, thereabouts come the end of the season. I'm not sure they have enough to sustain a title challenge, but they do get better and better as the as the months go on and as the season goes deeper. There's not a team in the league, I don't think, that knows their own roles in terms of the players that know their own roles as well as they do for Atalanta under Gasparini. Yeah, exactly. Well, you look at the league and I think there are only four managers that are still at the same club as they were at at the end of last season, right? So that that's a, a big part of it. But yeah, I think, yeah. And, and that may be part of the reason why Atalanta starts slowly as well, because even though they, they all know their roles, they it's such an intense program that I think, you know, they have to, after having some time off, it's like they need to, to get back to his version of in shape, which is probably a lot harder than the average uh, player's. But yeah, they you know they have almost two players at every single position that they can interchange, and they also dealt with some injuries at the beginning of the season. But now that they're getting healthy again, yeah, they they dropped points in the last couple of matches, but they went on a pretty crazy run before that. So I suppose they were bound to drop some points eventually. But they do have players that that fit into the positions that Gasparini wants them to play. Yeah, I don't think, um, and and this is something that Gasp Gasparini or Gasp, as as we know them, know him, might have to look out for is those games against Minos, those games against Genoa, Cagliari, Salernitana's, the Sampdoria's, the even Bologna to an extent, where um, they're going to have to compete against a low block and they're going to have to be patient with picking defenses apart, regardless of the plethora of attacking talent that they have. Against the team that plays maybe free-flowing football, maybe a bit more open, no problem. Uh, it's open season for them. Um, against the against the Sassuolo, maybe, or against Napoli. I know they took... It was a very good victory over Napoli that they had, but but they might struggle more uh, when, they, when they play low blocks. And in doing that, they'll concede opportunities because there's just no... Everybody has a license to roam in this, in this Atalanta side. You saw the... Um, the game against Genoa, that some of the best chances fell to Mary Demiral from to getting in the box and getting on the end of crosses. Yeah, and well, and we saw that against Napoli as well, where he scored. I believe it was the, I want to say the equalizer in that match. Yes, uh, it would it'd make it two two. Yeah, and it was assisted by uh, another. I can't remember if it was Palomino or Toloi. Either Palomino or Toloi. Yeah, yeah, or Toloi. But it was two center backs, right? So, yeah. That's something, and and it's not just at Atalanta. We're seeing it in with other teams as well, where center backs are starting to join the attack, which is an interesting sort of nuance of uh, Italian football these days. Yeah, 
Yeah, it feels as though I, I think centre backs as well. Um, for, for instance, when when Chris Wilder came to the Premier League with Sheffield United, I think maybe last year or the year before, it was the, it was the year before last. There was a big emphasis or a big hullabaloo about overlapping centre backs. That might also be, I think, because of how important the fullback role has become now. If you are very very good defensively, it's simply not good enough. Um, so so this is, I think, uh, something that we're seeing in football more and more often. In in tandem with Atalanta dropping points. What this has allowed to do is for Juventus as Allegri to only be four points off the of them in the Champions League spot. So halfway through the season, Allegri and Juve somehow I don't know how they've done it, but somehow they're only four points off of fourth when they really even not I don't want to say don't deserve it, but it's just such a they're, they're such a stop start team. But it, it really does feel as though I don't know. Do, do you think? Do you think you deserve to be four points off? It's a it's a funny one because they started off the season really poorly by their standards, obviously, and you know they they dropped a lot of points. It was one of their worst starts in in recent memory. I think they've benefited, like Inted, with uh, a bit of an easier schedule, if you will, to to close yeah, the first yeah. half of the season. But they also got important wins against Fiorentina, against Lazio. So you know it's. And they've done it sort of very quietly as well. It's it's almost like we were all surprised that, wait a minute, Juve is only four points back of a Champions League spot now. Um, but they've gone about their business as well. You still have to get those results against the teams below you and against the teams in the bottom half of the table. I think they have six wins and a draw in their last eight, something like that. So, you know, they're getting results. And at the same time, you have clubs like Milan and Napoli that have dropped points obviously the we'll talk about those two clubs and and i'm sure the injury yeah, but yeah. that's i think allowed and and we mentioned atalanta the last two matches that's really allowed juve to to get back into the race for champions league they're still quite a ways from inter at the top of the table but they're they're definitely creeping up there it, yeah it, 2021 is i think has been a very difficult year for juve um but but like you said, I agree that they've played Salernitana, they've played Venezia, Genoa, Cagliari, Bologna, winnable games. Um, but they're winning in such a typical, typically Allegri way where it's like, okay, we're one up, fine, everybody go shut up shop, and maybe if we're lucky, we'll score another on the counter. But that has happened in four of their last five games. It just it just feels as though not that they don't deserve to be there. It just doesn't feel like they're even playing that well to get there. But then that. Everybody knows that that's how Allegri wants them to play, where he's literally, as he famously said in a press conference one time, if a horse finishes just a little bit past the other horse in the race, they still win. That's not a direct translation. He probably said it in a in a, in a better way than I did. But it, it does feel like Juve are just about getting over the line. I think we'll see what is to come from them when they play Napoli-Roma and Milan in the space of uh, five games, in, in three of the three of those five games. And then after they have Verona and Atalanta. So, so I think we'll see how they do. Yeah, and I think that'll give us a better. Um, sorry about that. I was just going to say, I think that'll give us a better idea of where Juve is at because we, like we talked about with this recent run of form against some relatively weaker clubs, we don't know is are they getting results because the players are finally doing what Allegri wants them to do? Mind you, he also switched his formation. The four four two was something that was not really working. No, he's going to four three three now. Now he's playing more of a four. Exactly. And, it, and that does seem to be working. And it's kind of what everybody, it's certainly what I didn't want to see as, as a fan of Napoli, because I, it seems like the players are better suited to that system. So I was happy to see them continue with the 4-4-2. But well, I think the first couple of rounds of the second half of the season will tell us, okay, 
were they just getting results because they were playing weaker opposition or are they better now than they were at the start of the season? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the good news for Juventus is they are conceding less goals now. The Ligt looked like he has is becoming the defender that he was of, of two years ago. Bonucci sort of looks a little, little bit more steady after a, a rash start to the season. Maybe he had some some hangover from the Euros. Maybe he was a little bit tired, but that change to 4-3-3 does seem to be working. Um, Artur is slowly getting better and better in the games. Bernadeschi is having a weird redemption arc in the last two games. You know what I think? Have you seen this? Yeah, he has. And, you know, I, I I hate on him quite a bit. Mr. Bana himself. But uh, with some friends that, that are Juventini. But you got to give him credit. He's he's playing really well. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. I mean, we all love to see redemption arcs. We just didn't didn't think it'd be Bernadeschi. Allegri saying in the press conferences he can play even even better. Adrian Rabio at Juve. What do you, where does he currently stand right now as a Juve player? That's a tough one. I, I've not really been a huge fan of his during his time at Juventus. He, I think he was being... Huh. I don't think Juventus fans are a huge, a huge fans of him, Joel. <laughs> yeah. I don't think even, even even they know what what he what he means to be as a, as a Juventus player. Yeah, and and I just wonder if I just wonder if it's again because the system doesn't suit him so much, especially when they were playing in a four four two, and at times I believe he was playing sort of as a, a wide midfielder. Which definitely doesn't suit him. I think he's more suited to a a Mazzala role, an attacking midfielder. Yeah, and so in the four three three, he might start to play better. We'll see, but um, not a huge fan so far. No, um, he hauled him off again. Uh, Allegri did. Let's let's see. There's a few players with their futures in the air. I think for Juve, Delit is another one. Bernadeschi is another one who may or may not sign a new contract depending on sort of the recent form. There, I know Juve are also working to terminate Aaron Ramsey's contract. I'm not really sure why. Um, if that's ever worked for for Ramsey at, at Juve, I know he's he's won a couple of scudettos, of course, but he's never. I've never seen him have a run of six, seven good games. Well, he spent a lot of time injured, and then he always seems to get healthy for international tournaments or or international breaks. A lot of Welsh players do, don't they? They just the minute they they realize a Welsh game is on. Oh, oh my god! You know they they get better all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gareth Bale is obviously the other answer, but. Yeah, and I mean, it hasn't been a great time for him at Juventus between injuries and and not getting enough playing time, and and that'll affect the player as well, right? It's there's the mental side of it as much of the, as the physical side of it. Yeah, I feel as though Juve is still sort of tearing it tearing it away again, and then trying to build it back up. But I think that they expected Allegri to be a little bit better. I certainly did. Yeah, and I mean they've they've been they're also one of these teams like many teams in Serie A that are not in a great financial position, right? So in no. historically they would have been able to just buy more players and the team would be better. Uh, now they're kind of having to make do with what they have, which is still a very talented squad. Was still one of the most talented squads in Serie A, but again with a new manager that plays a different system, a lot of these guys are brought in to play you know, for Sadi or Pirlo, well, not even so much Pirlo, but it, you know, the predecessors. Um, so Allegri is kind of trying to fit square pegs into round holes a little bit. I agree. I agree. It feels as though he has the um, prototype to make 
make something that where he has the ingredient the ingredients of of maybe Pedro and Sari, and he is trying to make something out of the ingredients that that he got off them before. I don't know if that metaphor works, um, <laughs> but, but we'll see. Maybe he can he can have another window as well. I just. I, and every time I've seen a Juve game this year, they're just so boring to watch. So boring. I know it's Allegri ball and, and all this, but, but Juve fans surely are not. Wasn't that the whole reason of why Allegri left in the first place? Well, yeah, management wanted a more attractive brand of football, but after you win nine Scudetti in a row, and then when you try to play more attractive football, you lose your first two in, in a very long time, I guess. Yes, They've kind of uh, reverted back to the old ways and and what used to work. Yeah, basically, uh, Agnelli said to Allegri, "It's not me. It's not me. It's you." No, 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 no. Wait, sorry, sorry. It is me. I want you back. Please come back. And that's that's exactly what happened. But I, I think that I expected Allegri to be a better fit than he is so far. Let's let's see in the in the in the new year as it was. Yeah, I think a big part of it, though, is, you know, uh, Agnelli might have also said to Beppe Marotta that it's not me, it's you. And now Marotta's team is doing really well and Juve have suffered since he left. So I wonder, even with, you know, Allegri back, whether they'll get back to the, the level they were at before because... You know, Marotta's working wonderfully good. Oh no, no! I, I think it will be at least two seasons, at least two, three. Um, they 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 need to also sign another centre back. I think if if Bonucci was injured tomorrow, it's it's Delict and uh, Rugani in the in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, and also Bonucci and Cellini are getting older and older, so they need to they need to sort that out. And of course, I don't know how many times I've said it, but the midfield problem has not been fixed since Allegri left in the first place. So that there's there's lots of there's lots of problems still going on at Juve. It's, it's going to be an interesting um, 2022 for them. Yeah, there's there's all all kinds of spots on the roster that need to be addressed. I mean, you have the whole Dybala situation with his contract as well. Uh, you know, is is Morata good enough to be the the starting number nine? Do you make Moise Kane the guy? There's quite a few questions there. Moving on to your club, Joe Napoli. What is going on? It was a surprise loss to Spezia. Yes, and a good win against uh, against Milan in the in the so in the in the so called injury derby as as it's as it's been touted. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's exactly what's going on at Napoli. I think when you remove five or six starting players from the from the squad, the results are going to suffer. Now, you should still be able to beat Ampoli and Spezia, who Napoli have lost to. But, you know, you look at those results, you look at the way the games were played. I think in both cases, if you play those matches 10 times, Napoli win 9 out of 10. It just so happens that those were the one. But it's, it's very disappointing for Napoli fans. It's probably disappointing for the neutrals as well just because you want to see a, a competitive Scudetto race and Inter are starting to pull away a little bit but I think um, with guys starting to, to heal up Napoli have a bit of an easier schedule again to start the the second half hopefully we'll see them start to claw their way back closer to that that top spot yeah um, lots of injuries to deal with at the moment Osimhen, Koulibaly, Fabian Rui, Lorenzo, Insignia as well. The I, I echo your sentiments a little bit. The the loss against Spezia on another day, I think you would have won. You hit the the woodwork twice. I think was it? I think it was once, and then there was Lozano had a sitter that was cleared off the line. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. The Napoli fans are not happy with Lozano right now, especially because uh, I know, right? Leave Chucky alone, man. I like Chucky. Well, the <laughs> the problem though is that during the last international break, he did an interview after uh, Mexico's match against Canada. Yes, yes, I'm aware of this. Yeah, and he said, he said, Gattuso, I miss you. I'm joking. That's not what he said. Well, he, he the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Well, he said he he has. I think. I mean, he said he has aspirations of playing for a bigger club, which I think is a perfectly reasonable position. It's just not something you want to say out loud. Um, so, you know, since then he's been watched a little bit closer and he hasn't produced and, and he's had a couple of these sitters that he's missed. So yeah, Napoli fans are not too thrilled. I thought it was a, certainly an, a bit of an ill-timed. Um, obviously, with these things, when they get, I know Twitter's bad for it. Uh, when Quinn quotes get flown about on the, the bird app, as it was, um, it's difficult to to trace the source, but I, I never understand where Napoli are a, are a top twenty club in the in Europe, right? There's no dispute in that. I would say so, despite not having qualified for Champions League. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big club. It's it's one of the biggest clubs in in Italy. It's um, it's it, it's done. I think I think the trajectory is is on the up. Surely with Spalletti this year as well. But it's it's definitely an ill timed thing to say. But having said that, it was a di- not a difficult chance at all that he should have put away against Spezia. Um, on another day, I, I think, like you said, you you would have won. It's just one of those where it just didn't get go in for you. I, I'm not really sure where to fault the team, considering that I think you've actually played well against Spezia, and then maybe I think. It, the performance levels were a little bit worse off against Empoli, but you still did maybe just about enough to at least draw the game. Yeah, I mean, especially that's the other thing. You look at the goals that were scored in each of those games. In the Empoli match, it was a corner kick that Anguisa headed off the back of Cutrona's head and ends up in the goal. Yeah, especially that one. And then in the Spezia match, it was a Juan Jesus own goal that he couldn't do that at the other end if he tried. And obviously, you know, it happens to the best of us. Koulibaly scored an own goal against Juventus a couple of years ago. Like that doesn't mean he's a bad player, but both of those cases are, you know, not only is Napoli unfortunate with the injury situation, but then you add these sort of unlucky bounces. Spezia didn't have a single shot on target in the match and we lost, right? Or Napoli lost, I should say, but yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things. And and just on the injuries, what a lot of people are, are not really accounting for as well is that while it's been four or five starting players every match that haven't played, it's been different players that are missing matches. So on top of the fact that you have guys that are injured that are not playing, you have a bunch of guys that are playing that just came back from injury, like Enrisa, for example, Demme and Politano have taken a long time to get back to fitness after having COVID. So you're also playing with guys. Lorenzo Insigne played 70 minutes while injured because Zielinski came off uh, with a you know a breathing issue, I think, in the Empoli match. So with respiratory problems, yeah, right, exactly. So they're they're also playing with guys that are less than 100. percent But the the squad is so thin at the moment that they really had no choice. It is very. I think wishy-washy or, or, or mishmash of things when players come in and come out and you, you're spoiling the rhythm, but also players are not maybe used to playing with each other as well, especially if they're coming through in, drip, in trips and traps. So it's fair enough if you say, oh, um, oh, he's fit now, but it's not, it takes them A, to get 
a certain amount of time to get back to fitness, but be also maybe to adapt to a team that isn't fully fit either. Exactly. And I know everyone is playing the same number of games, but you know, when people criticize Napoli for not having depth, I do get frustrated because to me, this is not a depth issue. I mean, nobody can plan to have this many injuries to this many key players all at the same time, unless you're a Man City or a PSG or something like that, where you literally have two starting 11s. With a club like Napoli, well, well Napoli, as you said, are, are in terms of success or, you know, over the last decade or so, a top 20 club financially. A statue, yeah. Yeah, financially they're not. So they've just done really well in terms of spending, sort of buying buying players that are uh, just about to peak so that they peak when they join Napoli. But when you have that many players out, you can't really blame depth, depth because now you're taking your reserve players who actually played really well against Atalanta, against Sassuolo, even though Napoli dropped points in those both of those matches. Leicester City, they won the match in the Europa League with the same reserve players. But then when you play them every three days for five, six matches in a row, that's going to start to take a toll on these guys. And that's where I would say that that's not just depth. No, but but having said that uh, as well, you should, with the plays that you had against Spezia and Empoli, you should be beating them two teams. Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I think you have in more, not more than enough depth, but certainly a lot of, a lot of good depth in attack. One of the, I think, one of the, the best attacks all round in in the league. It, maybe no, number one or two. I think it's between your Inter, but you've got a hell of a lot of depth in attack. I know you have a lot of injuries, but but the key thing for me is, like I said, I don't think you actually played very badly in those two games. Um, but in terms of Spalletti taking over for the nineteen games, you're seven points off Scudetto off first. Surely, I think the objective for this year was to get in the top four. I, I don't, I don't think the Scudetto is over yet, but. Um, you can be very encouraged, I think, from what Spalletti has done this year. And I think a good season for you would be, yes, top four, but also get as close as you can to Inter because there is something there. Exactly. I think the goal changed a couple times as the season has progressed. It started out with finishing the top four. That's why we brought Spalletti in because historically he does that. Then after the amazing start, the goal changed and became Scudetto and now with the recent uh, run of poor results, I think the goal goes back to being a top four team with still aspirations of winning the Scudetto if we can go on a run, but definitely top four. Yeah, yeah. I think you have the players to do that as well. What, what's been your favorite moment this year so far for Napoli? I was a Napoli fan. I'm, I'm, I'll give you mine. Um, it's not necessarily on the pitch. Well, no, it is on the pitch. What am I talking about? It was... Um, Either Mertens, was it a brace or a hat-trick against Lazio? It was a brace, yeah. Okay, Mertens brace against Lazio because I felt like a lot of people had written him off before that and I just love to see Mertens happy. I don't know, he's just one of those players who just loves to loves to play football. Um, him and Insigne work so well up front. But my other favourite moment was <laughs> Spalletti getting sent off um, for, for saying bravo to, to the referee. <laughs> And his, his face after was just so confused because he said, I think it was Selanitana, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, it was against Selanitana where he said, Masara, bravo, Masara, bravo. Yeah, it was. I believe it was. And he got, he got a two-game suspension. And he turned around and he went, what? 
and he sent him off. And Spalletti's face was a picture. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it's always funny where you see, you know, a manager who's been sent off in the game after. He's obviously in the stands or in a, in a box somewhere because it's like that kid who's been told off about not playing the next game. And you just sort of see his reactions, his live reactions to it, I think. Um uh, Ivan Juric was a good one for Torino this year because you just saw him stressingly uh, constantly puffing cigarettes in the in the box. Yeah, and, and at the Maradona, it's it's like this little window somewhere way up in the stadium, and it almost looks like he's watching the match from his condo or something, <laughs> like he, close to the stadium. <laughs> but uh, for me, pretty similar. I mean, it, it was I guess the uh, the tribute to Maradona. Before that Lazio match was uh, probably the highlight. It's sort of a, yeah, kind of on the field, like you said, uh, but not not actual match play. Yeah, um, it must. It was this very emotional occasion, also with uh, with Maradona's strong connection to the club. It's it's nice to see the the Maradona Stadium full now again as well. Yeah, almost full. I think there's been some issues with the ultras, and they've protested. As in the ultras have protested because the stadium is not at full capacity or? I think that's what it was, which was interesting because that wasn't something controlled by the club. It was the league that was setting, you know, at the start of the season, I think it was 50% and then went up to 75% capacity and they didn't like that. Um, And it was not just that there was a limited capacity, but there were rules where you had to sit in your own seat, God forbid, um, or you know, you had to social distance or whatnot. And obviously the way the, the ultras uh, support the club is very different. So is it really? Well, yeah, (laughs) that was sarcasm. That was sarcasm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, but from, so for me, I mean, I have a, a different opinion about the ultras, but for a lot of fans, they, they missed hearing them. Right. Because it, it sounded very different. Yes, of course. I mean, they make the, they make the stadium loud. It's a, it's embedded in the culture of, of Italian football. Like it's, it was. Yeah. And the irony is that they were still going to the away games. And in many cases they were louder than the home crowds were. So yeah. Yeah. A bit of an odd start to the year where our found fans were louder at away matches than they were at home matches. That does, that does occur for, for some clubs. I think for instance, uh, I'm a Man United fan. Um, oh, Q. Loads of people not not tuning into this anymore. <laughs> but I'm a Man United fan, and I think obviously our away support is a lot louder than the home support. Just just out of curiosity, what is the uh, the ultras called for Napoli? Is it is it the curva or? Yeah, they have two curva A and curva B. Okay, okay, curva A, curva A and curva B. Cool. Moving from Naples to Milan, let's let's go to have some discussions about AC and Inter. AC in particular. Uh, Getting a good win against Empoli with a good, a good uh, and interesting change from Pioli to put Frank Kessie in central attacking mid, which paid dividends. They ended up winning four two. Kessie played a very good game. Uh, it, by the way, it's not an easy place to go to Empoli this year. And then, of course, the the loss to to you guys in uh, in in the derby where about fifty players were injured. Yeah, it was a good bounce back for for Milan and for Frank Kessie, who had a, a goal disallowed in the Napoli match. And obviously, a lot of Milan fans have their eyes on him with his contract 
uh, negotiations, which is similar to Insignia's situation where yeah. they're both not having their best years while they're negotiating a contract. It makes you wonder if that's uh, affecting them. But Kessie was uh, easily the man of the match in that game. Yeah, I, I forgot. I, well, not forgot, but I completely forgot about the that last minute Kessie goal against Napoli, where where it got disallowed, and the celebrations were very jubilant. And Pioli came onto the pitch as well, and and was celebrating with Tonali, but it got disallowed literally the second later. Um, I was a little bit flummoxed as to why that was not given. Really, I know maybe, maybe that'll piss you off. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think it's it's debatable. Um, there was a, a lot of, you know, the whole thing revolved around whether Giroud was considered to be an active player or not. And I've heard various different theories. Obviously, Milan fans would say he wasn't active. He just fell over. How could he be active? And uh, some of the arguments. But I mean, w- like with with him on his ass, what, what else could he have done there? Like, you're active. I know you're active. But it's like, dude, he's on the floor. Um well, I'll give you an example of an argument where. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'll give. Well, I'll give you an argument that I thought made sense. I, whether people agree with it or not remains to be seen. But yes, uh, one argument was that had he not been there, then uh, who was it on the ground? I think it was Juan Jesus. He might have just allowed the ball to roll through to Ospina, or he wouldn't have tried to. You know, maybe he stands up or something. Or, or similarly, if. If he is there and Juan Jesus allows the ball to roll through, then he gets up and has a scoring opportunity. So you could argue that just his presence in that circumstance makes him an active player, whether people want to buy that argument or not. And, you know, it's it's a debatable decision, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting uh, theory, but the ball at that point was traveling so slowly. Like even, okay, if Giroud wasn't there and Juan Jesus was there, he's on it. He's on it. He's on the floor as well. Uh, he's on his ass too. The ball was traveling slow, so slowly towards him. There wasn't anything too much more that he could do. He was not going to like move to the left completely, t- turn his body to the left or right and let that roll to a spinner because it wouldn't have rolled to a spinner and Kessie would have got there and scored. Um, I thought it was a little bit harsh to give that, but the game itself was disappointing because there was just so many injuries that that have occurred for both teams. I don't think we, we got to see the best, but you can clearly see it's it's having a big impact on Milan's attack now. Um, the, they're just the, Their main tactic against you guys was long ball to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, wait for him to lay it off and then hopefully score from there. It didn't happen. And and their attack just looks so out of sync and out of sorts now. Um, they also, in January, have Ismail Benesa, who's going to the uh, African Cup of Nations. Frank Kessie, who's also going to the African Cup of Nations. So, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think the one guy that and I never thought I'd say this before the start of the season, but the one guy that they seem to really be missing in the attack is Rafael Leao, uh, who's had a great... Yes. I, I think he's been their best player this year, apart from maybe Tonali. Yeah, and, and even Tonali's kind of tapered off a little bit lately, but yeah, Leao was certainly adding a lot in attack, especially that combination, you know, Ibrahimovic and, and even Giroud to an extent who missed a lot of time due to injury, uh, can't run as much as he used to at his age. And he has to kind of conserve his energy as we see with a lot of uh, these sort of great players that play into their latter years, like Messi and Ronaldo, obviously. But Leal was giving Milan that that boost of energy on that side. And when you take him out and then you add that Rebic has been injured quite a bit, 
they're they really are lacking some uh, something in attack. Yeah, Leao was in the form of his life before he uh, before he went off. It, it was a good window against Empoli. Like it's not Empoli is not. Um, did they've been? I think one of the surprise packages of the year this year that you felt like that was a big banana skin for them, for Milan coming off the back of a, a difficult result against Napoli and a and a poor one against Udinese when they drew. But typical of of this Pioli side on the Milan, they dig in and they fought. Kessie was very good, but. I would like to give props to Salamakers, who has taken a lot of criticism in the past, but I think against Empoli and even against you guys in in particular, the the cameo that he had, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, he's he has moments. I think Milan fans probably would like it to be more consistent, but he does have some some important uh, moments, and he's still young. There's quite a few young players on this Milan team, aside from some of the really old players. They have uh, a lot of young talent, and, and that's where I tip my hat to Pioli, because he's really getting, uh, to me, aside from getting Milan back into the Champions League, his biggest accomplishment is how he's improved the young players on this team. You mentioned Tonali, Leao, uh, you know, Salamakers probably falls into that category. There's so many young talents. Uh, Brahim is another one who's who stepped up again, also kind of tapered off a little bit. Yeah, tail. You know, there's so many guys that, and and then you add as well, going back to the point earlier about having the same coach as last season. It's pretty much the same squad. Obviously, they lost some some key players from last season, but for the most part, the same squad. But they're now a year older, a year more experienced, and and playing similar playing it from a similar position in the table, right? So I think Pioli is getting, getting the best of this young team. Yeah, I think massive credit has to be given to Pioli. Um, he's dealt with criticism, I think, since he's come in, but he's really put this his stamp on this team. Do we think they can challenge into all the way for a Scudetto this year? It's possible. It's not going to be easy, again, like you said, with all the injuries and the players leaving for AFCON. I think the one thing that... Yeah, I'm so sick of. I I know that we have to talk about injuries, but I'm so sick of them, man. I wish everyone was just healthy all the time. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah, well, I mean, when you, it's obviously COVID and the schedule, right? That's you know, it, it almost yes, feels like yes. not to take anything away from Inter, which we'll get to in a second. But they've been the healthiest, and so to me, it's not a huge shock that they're also top of the table. And mind you, it's for other reasons, not just because they've been healthy. Um, the reason I would still count Milan in is because they were eliminated. They finished bottom of the group in the Champions League. Which means they're going to be playing Rising fewer games um, and, until until at least some of these other teams drop out of European competition. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, th- I think Atalanta is still in Europa, I believe. Uh, yes, they are. They they finished third in their Champions League group, so they now will play in the uh, Europa League playoff as well. Napoli, who finished second in their Europa League group. Yeah, that that might be um, that might work in in their favor i think if if they get players back as well in the in the team who do you think has been their best player this year i'm going to go with leao uh, yeah i would agree oh okay case closed i, I thought we would i thought you'd say somebody else and we'd debate for a while but you're like no not leao leao yeah yeah well i mean i guess you can give a <laughs> yes yes <laughs> maybe but... i will i'll throw a shout out to mike Magnon as well because uh he had some obviously some very big shoes to fill and and he's done a great job again he missed some time with an injury as well but 
he's he's been great at shot stopping and his distribution is fantastic so i'll, I'll give him a, sh- a shout out as well i think because of the the work that was done sort of after donnarumma left and because it's so it's so obvious how milan have sort of won from that little battle do you know what i mean donnarumma sat warming the bench now in paris yeah exactly exactly and and milan have not been any worse off no uh, and and you would say better off at least in the sense obviously they would have liked to collect some some money on a, a transfer which would have been 100 percent profit but at least they're saving on the wages yeah yeah moving on to their um the cross city rivals the probably the team to beat in the in the league right now and they have been for a few games inter um playing well playing better than winning but playing better than they did last year hakan is playing well but uh, the one thing I would say, though, is probably since the Napoli game where they could have drew, drawn against you guys, it's been Venezia, Spezia, Roma, Cagliari, uh, Salernitana, and Torino. Games that you would expect them to win, but they've they've won and played really well and scored lots of goals as well. Yes, and not conceded very many either. They're, they're really firing on all cylinders. And I think Napoli still have the best record in terms of goals conceded, but it's not by much, I think only by a couple of goals now. And and Inter have scored more than any other team in the league. I think they have five or six clean sheets in a row now in the league. And yeah, they've been playing against weaker opposition, but you have to get those points nonetheless. We talked about Napoli dropping points to Empoli and Spezia, right? So if Napoli win those games, they're only one point back of Inter. Instead, they're seven points back. So, you know, Simone Inzaghi has got these guys playing really, really well. And I don't know if I would say, I guess you could say they're playing better than than they did last season. At the same time, I... In, in spurts, in spurts, let's not. Yeah, I, I think I people have, have a, lot of respect a, a very, a very small, um, a very small memory in football. Antonio Conte's football last season was fantastic at the time. It was so penetrative. It was good seeing Lukaku sort of come deep and and Lautaro Martinez go in the left channel and Hakimi and Perisic work so well as well. Um, but it, this is more of a but whereas that was more sort of not heavy metal football, more rock and roll football, I think. And this was more nuanced oper- operatic football, I think. For exactly. Anxiety. I think maybe the best way to say it is that they play very differently, but they're having the same success. And I think you you still have to, while, while Inter played differently now under Inzaghi than they did under Conte, I think Conte instilled a mentality there, a, a work rate there that, that Simone Inzaghi is benefiting from. Yes, the main thing. Yeah, I've I've never seen. I think it was a really good resemblance of his team. Like all of a sudden, it was very steely and very tough, and just yeah, and they don't stop running. <laughs> very aggressive and tenacious, basically. I think tenacious is the best word I'm, I'm I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting. I mean, even watching, I don't. Admittedly, I don't watch a whole lot of Premier League football, but you see how that. 3-5-2 and not to get too off topic but Conte's 3-5-2 kind of adapts to the opponent right where those those wing backs can make you play a defensive counter-attacking style or they can pin your opponent in their half and play more of an aggressive keep the ball put pressure on the opponent so, um, but back to I think it's one of the most crucial things about any Conte side is, is wingbacks, though. It's uh, We saw it with Marcus Alonso and Victor Moses uh, at, at his time at Chelsea and when he, I think it was Lichsteiner and Asamo as well at his first job at Juve. But I think the, the other thing is about Conte ball is how quickly 
his teams adapt to the way he plays or how quickly you see an effect of his management. We're seeing it now with Tottenham. In in his two seasons into they finished one point off the top in his first season and then in the second season obviously they won Scudetto. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't deny that he's he's successful and his system works and, and he gets the players to buy in and I mean back to Inzaghi where where I think we have to give him credit is that he's doing it with Edin Dzeko instead of Romelu Lukaku, and he's doing it with Denzel Dumfries instead of Ashraf Hakimi, um, and he's turned Chalanoglu into a player who, at least so far this season, performs consistently well, whereas he, you know, historically has been fairly inconsistent. Yeah, at least in the last five or six games, I think I think we've seen an upturn in form in, in Hakan Chalanoglu. I've seen a lot of people put him in in the team of the year or team of the season. I'm like. It's only been six or seven games. Like, yes, he is doing better, but I don't think he warrants being in team of the season. Um, I think a shoe-in... Yeah, of course, yeah. A shoe-in for me for team of the season for Inter would be Bastoni and Brozovic. Yeah, that might be a little bit of recency, uh, recency bias there. You can't... Like, I, I don't think you could argue with them. Whether, they, whether they're going to pull away in the Scudetto race, I think it's still really early. They are the team to beat, but... They're only four points ahead, and I don't think they're they're pulling away massively. They've got a big, big January coming up as well. Um, Lazio, Inter, Milan, Napoli, all all sandwiched in between a, a Coppa Ita- Super Coppa Italia final with with, uh, with Juve as well. I, I don't think it'll be as easy as what people are laying on. No, I agree, and it, it's similar to what we said about Juventus, right? Where that'll be if they come out of that run of games still top of the table and and especially if they come out of that with a, a healthy gap then it's going to be almost impossible to catch them but they could easily draw points uh with that run of fixtures yes i think there's still plenty of twists and turns to go in this good at rest it won't just be a foregone conclusion for inzaghi's inter <laughs> moving on from milan to rome what do you can we i mean i'm not going to call him one of the flops of the year. I think I'll call him one of the disappointments of the year because I I expected Sari and Sari Ball to work a bit better at Lazio. But what do you, what do you think of currently of Mauricio Sari's time at Lazio this year? I'm sure maybe somebody like Jerry Mancini would be a better place to to answer. So maybe he can reply when we put this out. But but what do you think? Well, you know what, Jerry and I are, are very close, so I, I speak to him often, and I think Jerry has the right mentality, uh, the right mindset in terms of gauging Sadi's success. And and I agree with him, which is that I think he's doing okay. I, I don't think if for me, I was not expecting him to, for Lazio to suddenly jump up into the top four. And it was purely because he came in to play a 4-3-3 and the squad was built to play a 3-5-2. And they have an owner that is pretty stingy. So he too is trying to get players to play in positions that are not natural to them. You know, there's there was a lot of talk about Immobile and his struggles in the 4-3-3 with the Azzurri. He's been still scoring at the same rate. There have been, you know, some struggles. There's been some drama with guys like Luis Alberto and Sergei Milkovic Savage, but they're, for the most part, both playing well. But then you have, you know, LCD Hisai at left back. Hasn't been that great. You have... Uh, Manuel Lazzari playing at right back and he's you know more traditionally a wing back personally I would rather see him play as a 
a right winger rather than as a right back. Um, and then for me, I think what's been the, the most glaring difference this season for Lazio is that Francesco Cerbi is, has not been very good lately. He's, he scored, I think he scored a couple goals, but he's altogether had a, a poor season. He's just been, he's, he's been very off. I think the, the highlight that I've seen from him in the last three, four months was just a video on, on Twitter of him singing George Michael's last Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Someone, someone find that, man. I can't find it anywhere now. You know when you find like a really funny... Can you send that to me after this? But it's... uh, You know when you find like a really funny video on Twitter, then you lose it and then... Anyway. It, it should be ain't got, ain't got nothing on George Michael. But anyway, go on. It was one of the usual sort of cultural banter accounts that I'll, I'll look up a couple of them. I think, I'll, I think the comment was that... Uh, that's been his best uh, contribution so far this year, or something along those lines. <laughs> oh, I love it! But no, he's 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 not been as good. They concede way too many goals. But having said that, they're three points short of where they were last year. Um, they've had a lot more off the pitch problems to deal with than than on. For example, there's there's been some, like you said, some hullabaloo between Milinkovic Savic and and. Luis Alberto and uh, it's Milinkovic Savic's future is up in the air. Like uh, strangely, like a lot of key Serie A players do seem to be. Like we said, Insignia, Kessie, Dusan Vlavic is another one, but Milinkovic Savic has been a staple of, of of Lazio in the last the last couple of seasons. So the, yeah, I and I wonder though how out, much so. of it is just the media looking for clicks versus actual issues. Because I mean. I guess the opposite applies as well. The Sadi's always going to say, "Oh, there's no problems," when even if there might be. But I think Sadi said that he had a, a bit of a disagreement with Luis Alberto at the beginning of the season, and that's it. He hasn't had any issues with Sergey. So I don't know how much of this is just fabricated, but um, there's definitely talks about him still potentially leaving because you know he's in the prime of his career, and there could be a, a huge transfer fee attached there that that may be too good to pass up. Yeah, um, I would be sad to see Milinkovic Savic lead Serie. A. I think um, he's been a fantastic player for the league and, and Lazio in the last few years, uh, and and he's done well in terms of staying when he clearly had a lot of good options to to leave the club. I think one of the positives about the Sarri era was has been Pedro, who's played really really well under him. Um, they're, they're seven points off fourth. Do you do you see them? making a charge in the second half of the season for top four? Or, or do you think that lies with Mourinho's Roma a bit more? Uh, Mourinho's Roma are on 32 and Sarri's Lazio are on 31. So only a point separating the two. Yeah, I, personally, I don't. I think there's there's just too much quality above them. And uh, unless they they take some points off of some of these top seven top you you think you think top four will will stay the way it is? So it'll be Milan clubs, you guys, Napoli, and Atalanta. So you don't think Juve, Roma, Fiorentina, with with the way they're playing, and Lazio can break in? Or well, I I don't necessarily think it'll be the same top four because Juve is knocking on the door. But I don't. I think it, maybe you would say that. Are they though? I, I think that. I don't think Allegri knows how to knock on doors. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just. I look at the steady rise. Maybe. I think he's maybe. I think he's maybe politely doing the doorbell. 
I think maybe he's doing politely. <laughs> he's ringing the doorbell politely, but that's. I mean, do you know what I mean? It doesn't really. Fit. He's he's politely lo- ringing the door and then sending a note beneath the door saying, "Can I come in, please?" Like it's. I, I don't picture Allegri ever knocking on the door, but that might just be the the Napolitan in me not trying to jinx anything, and <laughs> you know, I'm not guaranteeing anything. Well, and especially after last season when it seemed like Napoli were guaranteed a top spot, and then. Uh, gave it up on the final match day and to Juventus of all teams. Yeah, yeah. That was yes, let's 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 maybe not speak about that, Joe. I don't don't want to see you get angry on the podcast. Um I, I think there's a few things to sort out with, with player contracts in, in terms of Lazio. A few players not playing as well as they should, like like you said with a Cherby. Um Attacking-wise, they've still been fine. It's just they've conceded the same amount of goals as Venezia, for example. Yes, exactly. That's That's been a, been a big issue. And I, I can't remember if it was that they're one of the, the top teams in terms of conceding goals um, away from home, if I'm not mistaken. It, they've, I think they're – I believe it's their away record that has uh, has really struck, uh, hurt them this season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... I think they've been, they have been fine at home. It's 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 just the way. Let's let's move on to their crosstown rivals. Like I said, there's only a point separating them. There's been some good results for Roma, some some bad ones too, when they probably or possibly could have done better. The football has been okay, I think, relatively. Some some good ones, like I said, um, some good counter attacking performances. Some that were just a bit, I don't know, meh. Um, but, but like you said, I think Mourinho's Roma works a lot better when they play one of the big six or one of the big teams. Yes, and I think it's similar to Lazio in the sense that you have a new manager coming in to play with the previous manager's squad. I mean, Roma did spend more, I believe, than any other club this past summer, but most of it was on one player in Tammy Abraham, who I think for the most part has been a success. He's been good. He's been he's been a success. Like he's not he's he's hit the post a, a remarkable amount of times. Yeah. Um but but it, but he's been a success. Yeah, and it, I mean I think he's been rather unlucky. <laughs> yeah. There's some players that he's getting a tune out of. For instance, Pellegrini's been one of the best players of the year this year before he got injured. Um Abraham looks good. Zaniolo had a good performance against Atalanta. Felix Jan looks looks like a good find. Um I just like to see Mourinho come out of his shell more for tactics wise and, and stop maybe from first minute holding back and, and maybe just letting the attacking plethora that he has uh, at his at his usage loose a bit. You know what I mean? I do. Um so far, like we said, he's only had success playing traditional Mourinho football, which you can't really do against some of the, the sides that are setting up to defend, right? Um, I think he hasn't done himself any favors by basically throwing his entire reserve team under the bus and and then putting himself in a position where he has to play Prima Veta players. I mean, as you said, Afenigian has been very good. Um, and, and Roma, to... I mean, maybe a lot of people don't realize this, but their Primavera team has been the best team in the Primavera this year. So it's not that much of a stretch to say, okay, I'm going to rely on these guys because they're they're outperforming all their peers in the uh, the youth league. But yeah, I think it's it's a project at Roma. I don't. I think maybe some people got a little overexcited when Mourinho was announced. Exactly, it's a big million. Because it's Mourinho, because it's Mourinho, right? It begins the it brings the Mourinho factor there. But there is 
a block a bit of a blockbuster feel, I think, to Roma now. Um I'm just loving watching him get so frustrated by referees. There's one where I think it was against Milan. He didn't get something, and he sp- literally sprints like Usain Bolt, full pelt down the down the pitch, like sprints with anger in his face. Yeah, and then there's no there's no greater press conference either than, than Mourinho, especially after a loss. <laughs> Mourinho. <laughs> The, the, the man is just so grumpy. He he's, he sets new heights of being grumpy. But um, I think Roma are just enjoying having Mourinho there. But maybe give it the rest of the season to see, uh, obviously, where, where they are. But in terms of the, the players that he has, I think Roma do have a good, a genuinely good team to work with. More so, more so than Lazio, I think. Like more, more of a well-rounded, balanced team than Lazio. They do. I think they have a good foundation, and I think they're they're only going to get better. I think what's really held Roma back in the last few years is they've had these really heavy contracts with players that weren't seeing the pitch uh, at all, like not even close to the pitch. And slowly they're starting to to get rid of some of these contracts, which frees up some, you know, the wage bill significantly. And then you add in the Friedkins, who have shown a willingness to spend. Whether they'll continue that if if the project doesn't pan out over the la- the next couple of years remains to be seen. But I think they will. The squad will improve over the next year or two. Yeah, a lot of investment. I I've seen a lot of good things from from Roma this year. Maybe a little bit inconsistent. I would just like to, uh, like I said, maybe see him play a bit more attacking football. I think if there is a team that can challenge for the top four, I, I, it might be Roma. I just feel as though Mourinho might get a bit of a tune out of them. Either that or they'll self-destruct, which is basically Mourinho in 2021. I think that pretty much covers us for um, the seven sisters, if you will. If we want to just quickly move on to who who you think will be relegated this year, Joe. So Lenny Tana, look at Dead Sir. At eight points, there's there's troubles with the owner going on there. Did they have they found someone to take over the club yet? As far as I'm aware, they have not. Um, I haven't. I'll be honest. I haven't been checking the news too much over the holidays. But they've only got a couple more days, and then we could see this team vanish, at least from Serie A. Wow. So I mean, when they when you say vanish, does that mean the league will be 19 teams or? or? That's a possibility. Yeah, they're, they're talking about... This year. So so only two would go down. I would assume so, yes. And and what I think what they've been talking about is if that happens, how do they deal with the games that they've already played? And I think what's been discussed is that those first round matches would basically be extinguished and everyone would get a win. Yeah. Um, null, and, null and void. So everyone gets, if you play Selene Tana, you get three points. Yeah, exactly. And I think that would be the right way to do it because some teams would have played them at home, some would have played them away. So it's not quite as fair as if you were to say, okay, we'll just leave the, the first half as it is since everyone has played them. If they all played them in this, you know, at home or they all played them away from home, then I think that would work. But because some of those games were in Salerno, it make it's more fair to just wipe out that entire calendar and give everybody the wins. But I think when you look at the schedule and the teams that they've actually picked up points against, I don't think it would make a material difference anyways. It would be very sad if Salernitana were to leave the, the league, but I think it just hints on a point that there just isn't enough funding in Serie A. 
I think it was Lamotta, the, the previous Roma owner, the American, right? No, it's uh, it's similar to that. I'm drawing a blank, but from the Roma, uh, he, I think his name's Lamotta. I want to get this right. Lamotta, that's right. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> As in before Dan Dan Fredkin, who was the um, who was the owner now. Sorry, I almost got his name right. It was James Pelotta, right? Yeah, <laughs> not not Jake Lavotta's the raging bull. Um, but he he was the one who said when he owned Roma, he went into meetings, obviously board meetings with with cl- other clubs and Serie A officials, and they said that it was just like an old movie scene, and nobody got anything done because they were shouting on top of each other. The league itself needs to support the fact that the the football is getting better and the clubs are getting better and there is a sense of rich history and that romance that you find with with Serie A and it is coming back. But I think the league needs to back it and stadiums need to get built again as well. There's been three stadiums, I think, since 1940 that have had work done to them. Yeah, there's a lot of questions to ask of the league, both in terms of the Salernitana situation and, and as you said, stadiums and just growing the league there was you know issues with the a media contract that never ended up happening there's it's it's not being run terribly well which is unfortunate because it's probably the most entertaining league in europe at the moment you know but i agree i agree it's it's so badly ran to the fact that two days before the league started there was people in australia going oh how do we watch it because there isn't there wasn't a broadcaster which is just yeah it's simple that's like the first thing that you that you look at, surely. Yes, exactly. I'm I'm actually in Canada, and it was the same situation here, um, where, and then even then, I, I believe or I assume at least because it was left so late, when it was finally announced that Fubo got the rights in Canada, they weren't able to to broadcast all ten matches of the round, which these days is kind of an expectation from fans to be able to at least you know watch a, a match later on if you want to watch it there was only half the games for the first couple of rounds and i believe it was because you know they had to set up the infrastructure to be able to do that but they didn't know that they were awarded the contract until like you said a couple of days before the season started so yeah the league is is really wow that, that needs some organization really um but but going going off Salernitana, who are most likely to go down above that we have uh mazzari at Cagliari on 10 points, Shevchenko at Genoa at 11 points, and then from there, Thiago Motta is obviously managing Spezia at 16, Venezia at 17, and then Sampdoria at 20. So there's 10 points between 15th and 19th, and then above that, obviously, we have um, Sassuolo, Verona, uh, Torino, sort of on the 25 and 24-point mark. Who do, who do we think is going down then? I, it seems like it's, a, it's sort of a dead cert already that... Well, no, no, that's wrong. It's not a dead set. Who do, who do we think is going down? I think definitely Cagliari. I mean, if you think Allegri ball is terrible to watch, I mean, Mazzari ball is even worse. And uh... Hey, no, it's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Basically, it's it's go long to João Pedro and hope something happens. <laughs> so, yeah. And something almost did happen um, in that Juve game. <laughs> he's that good he just he, he does something does happen with Jao Pedro around yeah exactly uh, if he wasn't there they'd be in really really big trouble but I, I suspect we're going to see Caliti go down then after that I think that third spot is really difficult and you know 
Spezia, while they're five points clear of the relegation zone, that's because of that win over Napoli. Otherwise, they were you know only a couple points clear. And and the talks heading into that match was that if Spezia lost, then Thiago Mota would be sacked. And the expectation is that he still will be sacked. Um, yeah. Um, wow. Um, but did they play very good football, Spezia? I think. Do you not think it's it has a a direct correlation in terms of sort of teams like. Verona, who play very well, Sassuolo, Venezia, Spezia, who have a more possession-based style of football. I think the best example we've seen of sort of a team outside the Seven Sisters who've played very well and then can can watch them not shoot up the table but see better results uh, as well as better football is Fiorentina, for example. Do you think that has a direct correlation with how teams are doing in the league? I think it's part of it. And of course, Spezia were previously managed by Vincenzo Italiano, who was Spezia's coach in the in the last couple of seasons or, or at least the last season. I don't know. It's it's interesting because I was looking at this ahead of the Napoli match and they're not even that far off from where they were in terms of points collected last season at the midway point. So I'm not sure why there's these discussions about sacking Mota when you know he seems to be doing the same same thing that uh, Italiano did. Maybe we'll see your Silvio De Francesco back in the league sometime soon. Then, then at Spezia, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was um, Gianpaolo who I saw linked to the job, which is an interesting. Oh god, yeah, it's a it's a merry-go-round of Serie A managers, um, but it's a pretty sizable gap for from Genoa to Spezia. I know they just picked up their first point under Shevchenko. Um, fighting against Atalanta, but it seems as though that's how Genoa and Cagliari will play. It's, it's, uh, I don't know, maybe teams like Spezia and Venezia um, and to another degree, Verona and Sassuolo, Verona in particular, because when Igor Tudor came in for them, with them, they were in trouble and now look at them, but because they're, they play a little bit more of a swashbuckling style of football, they play to attack teams and, and, and that means they can, maybe have more of a probability of, of getting some points as opposed to Cagliari and Genoa and maybe somebody like Sampdoria for example who from minute one they're just setting up not to lose I think so I think so completely because we're not only can you beat your your direct rivals playing that style but as we've seen you can also take points occasionally from one of the the top half teams so I think that there probably is a correlation there and, and I would like to see those teams stay up just because they're more fun to watch and and they're going for it and they have their own identity rather than this traditional just defend and counter with the third spot it's tricky because i think back to last season where around the midway point i think benevento were a mid-table team and they had an absolute collapse in the second half yes yes they were playing brilliantly under Filippo Inzaghi, but that might not be... That's the other side of it. It might not be sustainable because you're asking uh, footballers to play a certain a certain way, and when it doesn't come off, then all of a sudden the pretty football doesn't matter and points do. Exactly, and that's what makes it so hard to, to predict who that third relegation side will be because any of these teams, the Spezia, Venezia, even Empoli, as far up as they are, if they go on that type of dramatic collapse, yeah, yeah. The Serie A trap door could be could be big. <laughs> Who do we think is going down then? Are you sticking with Genoa, Calgary, and Salernitana? Yes, I am. <laughs> Despite what I just said. 
Okay, cool. Okay, okay. No, no sitting on the fence there. It's, it's. They're all going down. All right, cool. We, I would be personally feel very sad to watch Jao Pedro go down, to be honest. But um, yes. Let's uh, let's see. I think he would land on his feet at another club and said, "Yeah, I don't think he would uh, stay stay down." I'd love to see him at Napoli. Yeah, so would I. Get him, get him in instead of Batania. <laughs> yes, exactly. And Merkins is getting older too. He may not be around next yes, season. Yes, yeah, yeah. Is there you? Is there quick question? I know this is maybe off topic. Is there universal hate for Batania? It's pretty close. Yeah, I've okay. I've tried to defend. Them. I like I mean, these answers, Joe. It's just straight up. It's, it's no. Um, it's literally yeah. Yeah, no, we hate yeah. him. <laughs> well, I've tried to defend him, but it's getting harder and harder to do that. I mean, you have to think of him as a third striker. And when you compare him to the third striker, I'm in it's exactly like, again, not to belabor the point. A target man. Yeah. A target man in, in an attack that doesn't really. Yeah, but he wasn't meant to be a starting striker for this team. But the injuries have made him that. If he is a useful player that has different characteristics than Osimhen and Mertens that you can bring off the bench late in the match, like against Genoa in, earlier in the season, and he scored one of, I think, his only goal or one of his few this season. But that's that's what his role is supposed to be: a, a guy that can give you some physicality off the bench, not not a guy that's going to play the full ninety play to a target man if you if you you got a lot of good streaky players quick uh let's do a quick fire round just to finish things off your player of the year so far for syria i'll give you you can give me three you can give me three uh vlaovic i think has to be in there yes i agree with that i'll put vlaovic in i i really like um i really like brozovic um i'd I'd probably put him in there Yes, Brozovic as well. I think I'll go Vlaovic, Brozovic. Okay, yeah, there you go. I was going to say it's easy to favor goal scorers. Like you, you could put any moment there, you know. Pellegrini. Pellegrini before he was injured. Yeah, I feel like there's so many of them. Or oh, you could go Cholito. There's, there seems to just be a lot of good attackers at the moment who, who are thriving. Caprari. I'll go Caprari, actually. That, that's one that's that's a little bit off Kelter. That's not... Caprari deserves to be up there ever since Chudo came in. Best young player of the year so far. Skamaka. Especially Italian fans, right? Yeah, Udi are missing the number nine. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good shout. Even Raspadori has been really good lately for Skamaka. I think everybody wants to see him get better and better as well, and which he is after finally... And then we can give a Fenegian a shout. I mean, it's, it was kind of one or two matches, so not enough to be best young player, but he's uh, making a name for himself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we have time for on this uh, festive edition of Area de Rigore. Joe, thanks very much for joining me. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.